Well, believe it or not, this is week 11 of our Remarkable series. And we've been asking a question at the beginning of every sermon, what is going to be down the road today? Well, today, what's down the road is the car that we all want to avoid, right? Uh, The student driver. Uh, Now, how many people in here would consider themselves to be a good driver? All right, I see some husbands and wives kind of fact-checking each other on that statement, right? Uh, Because my wife is not up here next to me, I can say, uh, I do believe I'm a pretty good driver. Uh, now, now, some of that stems from 20 years ago or so when I was learning how to drive and I went to driving school. Now, I didn't want to go to driving school, but where I was from, uh, if you went to driving school, you could get your license a little bit faster. And so that's what I did. Now, to my surprise, I actually found that I really enjoyed my experience in driving school. Now, some of that uh, was because I probably didn't have the best teacher. So dad, if you're watching online, I do love you, okay? Um, But I also didn't have the best car to learn on. I was learning how to drive on my dad's like 92 Ford Explorer, had a stick shift and a seatbelt that didn't unbuckle. So you had to climb into the seatbelt when you wanted to drive that car. Uh, And so when uh, this driving instructor showed up at my home with a modern car and a working seatbelt and uh, also speaking in full calm sentences, I really found like I enjoyed my experience in driving school. I still remember to this day some of the things that he taught me, where to put my eyes in the windshield, um, how to parallel park the way you're supposed to, how to drive in the snow, when to brake in a corner, those kinds of things. He gave me some great instruction. So what is the purpose of driving school? Well, it's pretty simple. You take something that is complicated and can be difficult, driving, get yourself some excellent instruction so you're ready to be on the road. Today, in our text in 1 Peter, Peter's going to take a subject that can be complicated and difficult. He's going to give us some excellent instruction so that we are ready when we need to use this kind of knowledge. And the topic that Peter has for us today is the topic of suffering. The topic of suffering. If you've been following along with us in your 1 Peter journal or in your Bible. Maybe you've noticed how many times the topic of suffering comes up in this letter. In fact, the root of the word suffering shows up 17 times in the letter of first Peter. It's all over the place. We saw it as early as chapter one, verse six, at least the theme of suffering. Remember this verse in this, you rejoice though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Now we know for the readers that Peter was writing to, a lot of that stemmed from the historical context that they were living out. This was a group of Christians who were dispersed throughout Asia Minor, and they were suffering under the persecution of the infamous Caesar Nero. Some of the particular challenges they faced were things like this, rejection from family, slander from others, social oppression, economic isolation, unpredictable outbursts from the emperor. 
also included acts of violence, imprisonment, and even death. So the group of readers that Peter was writing to are a group of Christians that knew how to suffer and understood trials as well as any group of Christians that you'll find in scripture. These are the kinds of people, if there were Christian podcasts back then, they would have been invited on those and said, how did you do it? How did you endure that kind of suffering? Now, our situation today is quite a bit different for the most part than what these early Christians would have experienced. Now, that's not true at a global level. We understand there is everything on this list occurring for Christians in some parts of the world. In fact, World Vision report last year, about 5,000 Christians died for their faith last year, which means every day about 13, before today's over, about 13 believers will die for their faith around the world. So there are some Christians that experience these things intensely even today. But for the most part, those who are in this room, those who are watching online, can identify with at least the full gamut of what those readers were experiencing, with some exceptions, of course. However, I do believe that Peter and his readers have something to teach us about suffering. And the wisdom that Peter gives to his readers can apply to Christians going through any kind of suffering. And so I want to address two specific groups of people in our church today. The first group I want to address is those who are suffering. Those who are suffering. Maybe on the road through life, you have encountered some trial, some difficulty, some area of suffering right now that you're experiencing. Maybe you're an older person in the room and you have a health trial right now. Maybe you're a teenager and you have some kind of trial or way you're suffering at school right now, November, 2021. Maybe you're a middle-aged couple and you're having a trial or difficulty with one of your children, or maybe you're a family and you're experiencing grief right now. I want to talk today to people in this church who are suffering. I want to ask a question that first Peter asks, how are you handling your suffering? How are you handling your suffering? But there's another group of people I want to talk to this morning, and that's not those who are suffering. I also want to talk to those who will suffer, those who will suffer. Maybe if you're honest, as you've read through 1 Peter and you've seen this idea of suffering come up over and over and over again, you read those parts and you say, that doesn't really have a direct application to me. One of my favorite books on suffering is by an author named D.A. Carson. It's called How Long, O Lord? And he starts the book by saying, all you have to do is live long enough and you'll suffer. And that's true. So maybe today, if you're in the room and not suffering, isn't so much about how to endure what your life looks like now. Maybe for you, this is more about preparation. And so whether you're here today as someone suffering, whether you're watching online as someone who just will suffer, our text takes us to 1 Peter chapter four, where we're gonna see what it looks like to have remarkable suffering. Would you pray with me as we begin our text together. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity that we have before us to study your word. Lord, our time today would be fruitless if it were just us in here without the spirit of God present. 
Lord, we ask you and invite you to come into these moments and to change us from the inside as only you can do. We look to you for that, God. I ask you, would you change our church? Would you change me through the teaching and the truth of your holy word? We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So as I said, suffering comes up over and over and over again in the letter of 1 Peter. But what Peter does in chapter four, verses 12 to 19, is he clears the table, rolls up his sleeves and directly addresses the topic of suffering. And he gives us here three ways that we can be remarkable in our suffering. So the first one that Peter gives us, and the first thing that he addresses is how to have a remarkable reaction to suffering. He's gonna challenge his readers. How do you respond and how do you react to the trials and the difficulty that you experience. So he says this in verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. So he uses this little phrase here, fiery trial. Maybe that's familiar to you. He used something similar in chapter one to talk about trials. But the image that he's really referring to here is that refiner's fire. So the idea of this image is that someone working with precious metals would take precious metals, put them into some kind of container, apply a lot of heat to those metals, separating the impurities, getting rid of the dross, and leaving just the precious metal behind. What Peter's gonna tell us is that process, that refiner's fire, is the process that we as God's people go through when God is purifying us. Now, as I said, that image of the refiner's fire is probably something that most of us are familiar with. It's an image that shows up in scripture all the time. Many of us have seen that in the book of Job or other places in Paul's writings where he talks about this process of God purifying his people. It's not an unusual image in scripture. What is unusual here though, is the reaction that Peter tells us to have. He says, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Now, surprise is the common reaction to suffering, isn't it? I know sometimes my wife will be scrolling through Facebook and I'll hear across the room, (gasps) right? She reads some update about some disease or some tragedy somebody's posting. That's oftentimes her reaction to suffering, to difficulty. It's often my reaction to suffering and to difficulty. It's many of ours. Surprise, like something strange is happening. You can imagine Peter's readers maybe hearing this letter being read for the first time, many of whom more than likely were relatively new to their faith in Christ. Maybe they thought when they came to Christ, all their problems would go away. And yet Peter tells them, That's not the way it is because they know they're experiencing all of these trials, all these sufferings, all these difficulties. No doubt those things were taking Peter's readers by surprise. They were wondering, what is this that's happening to me after my faith in Christ? And yet Peter challenges that reaction. Don't be surprised. Instead, he says, verse 13, rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So Peter coaches his readers in these first two verses. Don't have the common response to suffering. Don't be surprised by it. 
have the uncommon response. Rejoice in your trials. Now let's talk about that word rejoice for a moment. You know, it's easy for me to read that word and say, okay, I need to rejoice in my trials with my current circumstances. But imagine being one of Peter's first readers who's experiencing that kind of relentless and ongoing persecution and trial and suffering. And you read that you are supposed to rejoice in that. Or forget being the person that's reading that. Imagine knowing that your wife or your child was experiencing that kind of isolation, that kind of rejection, that kind of oppression, maybe even physically tormented or hurt for their faith. And you get to this point in the letter and you hear you are supposed to rejoice in your suffering. How can Peter ask his readers to rejoice in that? Look what he says. Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. So what Peter does here is he reminds his readers that when you experience suffering for your faith, you are actually experiencing what Christ himself experienced in his life. Remember one of the earliest titles we have for Jesus, we get from the book of Isaiah, the suffering servant. This is one who was despised and rejected one who was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Peter tells his readers, when you walk in the footsteps of Jesus, you are experiencing the kinds of trials that he experienced. And look at where those footsteps lead at the end of the verse, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So we have talked about how Jesus's life He had suffering that led to exaltation. What Peter tells us is that same dynamic is also true for his readers and his followers. That when we suffer like Christ, one day we will be exalted like Christ. Now for Peter, this kind of remarkable reaction all hinges on that image that he brought up in verse 12, that refiner's fire. You can imagine some of Peter's first readers experiencing the the pain of suffering and going through all those various types of trials and difficulties we've already talked about. You can imagine them experiencing that. It would be so natural for them to focus just on the pain of their suffering. But what Peter's trying to accomplish in these first few verses is actually get in and begin to shift their mindset so that they're not so much focused on the pain of their suffering, but they're looking to the process of their suffering. He's trying to shift their mindset so their first reaction when they encounter a difficulty or a trial isn't to react by being surprised like something strange is happening. He wants them to be able to rejoice because of what God is accomplishing. So let's talk about us for a moment. When you have found yourself in that refiner's fire, What kind of reaction has been common for you? Is it surprise? Like something strange is happening to you? Or has it been joy? Because you recognize what God is doing through it. A couple years ago, I went through a season I would consider to be God's refining fire in my life. And one of the things that he taught me, and it's a lesson that I had to learn then, and I'm sure I'll have to relearn many times in my life, 
was to recognize and begin to appreciate and find joy in the process of what God was accomplishing in that season. And one of the things I did during that time is I, I created a folder and it wasn't something I set out to do, but I found myself coming back many times to the same passages of scripture or listening to sermons and thinking, oh, that would be great for me to lock into as a truth during this season. And so I just started to accumulate some of the things God was using to encourage me at that time. And I have in this folder, I don't know, all kinds of prayers and uh, different specific requests I had, different verses in here God was teaching me, different clips from Pastor Chris or other, other people preaching that applied to my situation. And one of the things that I put in here were a few songs that ministered to me during that time. I remember reading through these lyrics and just being blessed by the truth of them. One of the songs that I put in this folder was the hymn, How Firm a Foundation. Listen to what verse three says. When through fiery trials, your pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient shall be your supply. The flame shall not hurt you. I only design your dross to consume and your gold to refine. The book of Hebrews chapter five, verse eight, gives this great little verse. It says that Jesus learned obedience through suffering. That's the same process God puts his children through. Our trials and our difficulties and our suffering are in our lives to refine us. So Peter tells us, tells his readers, have a remarkable reaction to suffering. Don't be surprised by your trials. Rejoice in them because just as Christ suffered and was exalted, that's what his children will experience as well. And then after giving us that remarkable reaction to suffering, Peter is ready to give us the second point of remarkable suffering. And that is the opportunity of suffering, the opportunity of suffering. So in verses 14 to 18, Peter gives us two specific opportunities that come only to those who are experiencing suffering. Listen to what he says, beginning in verse 14. He writes, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, so he's still talking to people who are suffering for their faith here. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So once again, you can imagine Peter's readers here, maybe hearing this letter being read for the first time. They're tracking through the letter. They get to chapter four, verse 14. And while they're being viciously attacked for their faith, They read from Peter, you are blessed. Why is that? Because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. For Peter's readers, it would be easy for them to assume they have been abandoned by God in their suffering. What Peter tells them is far from that. Actually, your suffering is a mark of God's presence in your life. And that leads us to the first opportunity that we have in suffering that Peter gives us when we encounter trials. We have an opportunity to experience the comforting presence of God in our suffering. As a pastor in this church, one of the great honors and privileges of my life is to be part of a team that gets an opportunity and a privilege to teach the truth of God to a congregation. It's a great privilege in my life. This is an area where this church and this congregation has taught me 
Our church family has showed me firsthand what it looks like to experience the presence of God in suffering. I've talked to families who are experiencing an ongoing health saga in their family. And they go through the initial appointments and the diagnoses and the early treatments and the follow-up appointments and the specialist appointments and the surgeries and the post-surgeries and the following specialist visits and the relapses and the problems and I, as I've talked to them through those experiences, they'll testify of the comforting presence of God in their suffering. I've talked to young adults in our church that come from a very rough home life and yet who testify of the comforting presence of God in their life. Pastor Doug and Pastor John Hodnett will often send group texts to our leadership, our pastors, and uh, many times, Pastor Doug will send a text, happens probably almost on a weekly basis, through this specific thing happens where he'll send a text, give us an update about somebody who's going through some difficulty, maybe give us a prayer request to pray. And so often he'll include at the end a testimony from that person that they are sharing, that they're experiencing the comforting presence of God in their trial, in their difficulty. Maybe this has been your experience when you have gone through a period of suffering or a trial or a difficulty that you have experienced the comforting presence of God in that. Oftentimes this is when the 80 year olds in the church get a smile on their face because they know what this looks like. They've experienced it. I read a few moments ago, some of the lyrics from How Firm a Foundation. Here's a passage of scripture where that song is partly based on. It's Isaiah 43, verse two. Listen to the words of this prophecy. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. If you're suffering right now, if you're going through that refining fire, first Peter tells you you're blessed because God's presence is with you. I heard this story told by a guy named Darius Daniels. He said, a man was praying to God. He said, God, I've never been in so much pain. And God said, yeah, but you've never been in so much prayer. There's an opportunity that comes in suffering to experience the comforting presence of God. Is that an opportunity that you are seizing in your trial? Or is that an opportunity that you're missing? Now, before we get to the second opportunity Peter gives us in this text, he has a little aside here because he wants to be clear. <laughs> Listen to what he says next. Let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. So he gives us a list here arrange sort of like greater offenses to lesser offenses and just wants to go on record. If you're suffering for these kinds of things, that's not what I'm talking about. That is consequence. I'm talking about suffering and trials. And then he gives us in the next verse, the second opportunity that we have when we suffer besides God's presence. Listen to what he says in verse 16. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed but let him glorify God in that name. This word glorify here, it's the same word we get the word doxology from. This word really means praise. Peter says, 
Let him praise God in that circumstance. Now you can imagine Peter's readers once again, maybe being targeted for their faith, maybe once again, relatively new to faith, experiencing for the first time, all of these associated consequences of coming to faith, the isolation, the oppression, maybe even the physical torment. And you can imagine them wondering, did I make a mistake by coming to faith in Christ and begin almost to feel ashamed of their choice to follow Christ. You can imagine them beginning to hang their head in defeat. And Peter tells them here, no, no, don't hang your head in defeat. Lift your head in praise. And he tells them why. For it's time for judgment to begin at the household of God. Now, when we read judgment here, many of us right away will think of punitive judgment, judgment that comes as a punishment but we're talking about here, the household of God. These are God's children. This is the church Peter is addressing. We know there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Peter's not referring to a punitive judgment here. What he's talking about is a purifying judgment. So the reason that they can not be ashamed and to praise God in their suffering is because once again, this is becoming a theme of this text. They are recognizing God is purifying them in judgment. It's something that is happening to them through the work of God. And as all judgment of God, he always starts with his kids. But then Peter addresses those outside the household of faith, shifts gears and says, if it begins with us, that kind of judgment, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? You see, there's a reality that comes through in this text that those who are part of God's family, those who are part of the household of faith, those who are God's children will be purified by the judgment of God. But those who are outside of God's household won't be purified by the flames of judgment. They'll be consumed by the flames of judgment. And then Peter quotes from Proverbs eleven thirty one, which made this same point a thousand years before. If the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Hebrews chapter 12, verse six tells us the Lord disciplines the one he loves. If you are not experiencing trials and discipline over the course of your life, you're not one of God's kids. God's purifying process that he puts his children through, those trials and that suffering are a refining fire. They are not easy to go through, but church, the alternative is far worse. And so Peter gives us in verses 16 to 18, another opportunity in our suffering. When we encounter trials, we have an opportunity to praise the purifying work of God. We have an opportunity to praise the purifying work of God. So once again, you can imagine Peter's readers being surprised by their trial, feeling abandoned by their trial, maybe feeling ashamed by their trial. Peter says, don't do any of those things. You have an opportunity here. You have an opportunity to experience God's comforting presence and to praise God's purifying work. These are opportunities that only come when we suffer. It's as if Peter is saying, Don't waste these opportunities. So I've mentioned many times, I have three boys at home who are six, four, and two now. 
And um, one of the things each one of them has, has is a piggy bank. I brought one of their piggy banks with me today. And um, you know, it's amazing how industrious kids can be, finding ways to make money off their parents, right? Um, but we do have various ways for them to make an income in our house. So they do some chores and they get an allowance for that. Um, our six-year-old is getting a lot of tooth money these days. That's a great source of income for a six-year-old. Uh, you also have, you know, when they get birthdays or Christmases, you know, they'll get some money from the relatives and inevitably it winds up in their, their piggy bank. Uh, but as good as my kids are at finding ways to make money, they're even better at finding ways to waste their money, right? So uh, there's been many times where we'll be at a store, a dollar store, or uh, maybe at a, a gift shop on vacation or passing the, the bane of every parent's existence, the claw machine. And um, one of my kids will want to use their money uh, that way. And I'll tell them, guys, you know, it's kind of a waste of money. You know, I'll look at a toy they want to buy at the dollar store and say, this thing's going to end up in the trash tonight. I promise it's not going to survive. But they, you know, they look at, they say, dad, we really want to buy this toy. And so it's their money. You know, part of what we try to teach them is stewardship. And so say, okay, if you want to buy that, go ahead. Right. Well, inevitably that toy ends up where? In the, in the trash, right? Just like that's it. <laughs> and, uh, but in that process, the kids learn about stewardship. Because once they take that money, spend it on toy or claw machine, that money is gone. It's never coming back. It's wasted. What Peter does in this text is he takes this concept of suffering and he actually puts it in terms of stewardship. He says, God brings trials into your life and he asks a question. How are you stewarding that suffering? So maybe you're here today, and like one of Peter's readers, maybe you are experiencing some level of suffering for your faith. Peter tells you that's an opportunity. You can experience in that suffering the comforting presence of God. And you can experience praising God for his purifying work in your life. Now, maybe for you, it's not suffering for your faith. Maybe God's brought other trials into your life. Maybe you're in a season of loneliness and you're fighting the pain of isolation. Maybe you are one of those families going through a health saga and you're dealing with physical pain in your household right now. Maybe for you, it's a, psychological trial, there's some mental pain, mental illness in your family that is crushing your family. Maybe it's some other trial or difficulty or suffering that you're experiencing right now in your life. Peter tells us that's an opportunity to experience the comforting presence of God and to praise him for his purifying work in your life. But so often church, when God brings these trials into our life, we don't steward these opportunities well. We waste them. God brings trials into our life and instead of stewarding them, they're gone. We don't experience what God wants us to experience. So I have a question for you. How are you stewarding your suffering? How are you stewarding your suffering? 
I was talking to Pastor Chris a couple days ago. He was just asking, you know, what I'm going to be preaching on. I was sharing just this illustration with him. And a couple hours later, comes flying in my office and he says, hey, imagine a, a couple that comes and says, we're going through a trial and we want you to pray for us because we don't want to miss the opportunity that this trial gives us. He said, that would be remarkable. <laughs> that would be remarkable. That's what Peter's point is. We have a remarkable opportunity in our suffering to experience God's presence and to praise God's purifying work. Now, don't worry, I'm going to pay my son back, okay? <laughs> some people are thinking about that. <sighs> so Peter gives us that remarkable opportunity. And then he gives us one more point that he makes to his readers. And that is, in verse 19, a remarkable mindset for our suffering. A remarkable mindset. So in verse 19, Peter outlines what is actually a strategy for our suffering. And I said this morning, I'm talking really to two groups of people in here, those who are currently suffering and those who will suffer. If you're a person who's currently suffering and you don't have uh, like an anchor verse, some verse that you're constantly coming back to in this trial or season that you're in right now, I'm gonna make the case that 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19 is a fantastic candidate for you to memorize, put on your fridge, put on your home screen, somewhere in your life where you see it all the time. It's a great verse for people who are experiencing suffering. Or if you're one of those people who isn't suffering now, 1 Peter 4:19 is a verse you should have marked somewhere in your Bible for when those trials or experiences come, you could be comforted by the word of God. So verse 19, it's the last verse we're gonna look at this morning, says this, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Now, if you talk to somebody who's suffering, or if you've been through a season like that yourself, you know how important a mindset is for those who are suffering. Peter says, based on everything I've said before, therefore, verse 19, he sums up this mindset that we need to have as we go through trials. And really what's neat about this verse is it breaks down into some of the questions that so often plague the minds of people who are going through a season of suffering. So he starts with the first question, the why question. Why is this happening? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10 teaches us that God custom gives us trials for our life for our good. If you're a child of God, if you're one of his kids, we have to realize that suffering doesn't happen to us. Suffering happens for us. Suffering and trials are not outside the will of God. They are a part of God's will. Nothing happens in my life before passing through the hands of my heavenly father. So we have to remember that suffering is according to God's will. Another question we often ask, what is going to happen? <laughs> Peter says, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator, You know, there's a hard truth that comes with so many trials or periods of suffering that we might endure. And that is, we just don't know how they're going to end. Peter tells us here, 
no matter how you think or may uh, guess how it's going to end, entrust your soul to a faithful creator. And I love the title Peter ascribes to God here, our faithful creator. To me, that just makes my mind go back and think how long God has been doing his job. Uh, oftentimes when we go through trials and suffering, it might be the first time we've encountered something or maybe it, something we've encountered a few times in our life. This text reminds me, God has been doing his job for a long time. He has seen what I'm going through before. He has walked maybe hundreds, thousands, maybe millions of believers through the same trial I'm experiencing now. God is a faithful creator. His character is sure. And I can trust the one who made me. Maybe you're in a trial right now and all you can think about is the question, what is gonna happen? Maybe all you can think about is what's gonna happen to me? Maybe it's, uh, how's this trial gonna work out? What's gonna be the end of it? Maybe you even look at the statistics, look up things on the internet and, and, and realize this is not good. Maybe you have a family situation or an economic situation or a legal situation and all signs are pointing in the wrong direction. Sometimes from scripture, we get a shh, shh, shh. This text is a shh. What Peter tells us is to entrust our soul to a faithful creator. And then this last question that we ask, what can I do? Peter says, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. You know, so many times when we go through a difficulty, what happens to our focus? It begins to be only on us. We get very introspective. We can get even selfish in our suffering. Peter tells us, keep doing good. Keep using your gifts Keep praying for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Keep being a dad, keep being a mom, keep being a brother and a sister. Whatever you're going through, entrust your soul to a faithful creator, but keep doing good while you're suffering. You know, one of the goals we've had in this entire series is to look at 1 Peter through the lens of apologetics. And we've been getting throughout the series some very specific, helpful principles or application to take the truths of what we're learning in 1 Peter and apply them to an apologetic situation to share our faith with maybe those who are outside of the family of God. When it comes to suffering, think about just the apologetic power of reacting and responding and going through trials this way. Think about a family member or a coworker who reacted to uh, suffering and trials this way. Think about the strong apologetic testimony that would be. When other people are surprised by suffering, you rejoice in your suffering. When other people are just trying to grit and get through their suffering, you're seeing it as an opportunity. When other people are losing their mind in their situation, you have a mindset that's locked into 1 Peter 4.19. Chapter three tells us to be ready when those around us ask us for the hope that's within us. If you live through trials this way, get ready to have conversations about your faith. People will ask you, what is with your hope? And you can tell them, I have a remarkable mindset from 1 Peter 4. 
So we started with a few questions this morning. First of all, how are you handling your suffering? Are you being remarkable in your suffering now? Maybe for those who are not going through difficulty, we asked another question. How will you handle your suffering? Are you prepared to handle suffering in a remarkable way? While I was preparing for this week, I thought back to a a story, a testimony that I had read a little bit ago uh, in a book by Tim Keller called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. Uh, In this book, he tells the story of a man and wife, Mark and Martha, and um, the mindset and the remarkable way in which First Peter teaches us to handle suffering. I thought of this story. I just want to read a, a little bit of it and then uh, we'll be done this morning. So if we hear first from his wife, this is their, their testimony of suffering. As my husband, Mark, sits in his wheelchair, unable to move anything but his eyes, and that being increasingly difficult, we are approaching the 10-year point in our journey. It began with a small muscle twitch when Mark was 48 years old. And within a month, our doctor diagnosed the cause as the terminal illness, ALS, or Lou Gehrig's disease. We'd been married 25 years and had four children. We'd always been an active family, so Mark's quick physical demise was devastating. When Mark got sick, I fell into a black hole of despair. I didn't know how I was gonna live through the pain of the coming days. I asked all my friends to pray that the fear of tomorrow would not rob me of the joy of today because I was struggling. During those early days, Mark and I quoted every verse we could think of about God's care. We attempted to find ways to beat into our hearts the love and the faithfulness of God. We planted our feet in the truth we understood even though everything in our lives seemed otherwise. And then this is from Mark writing at a computer that captures eye movements. I played sports in my younger years and I always hated sitting on the bench One day, just after my diagnosis, I cried out to God that I thought I was being pulled out of the game when I still had something to offer. His response was, you have been on the sidelines for some time. You are just now going into the game. Hanging on to the truth that God is doing much that I can't see and that in his economy, it's worth the suffering but it's also a daily exercise of faith. I remember Tim Keller relating the story of a man who was terminally ill and who told him that the sweetness of life with God as a result of his illness, he wouldn't trade for more years. I have found that to be true in my life as well. And then Martha closes this out. We have found meaning, purpose, joy, growth, and wholeness in our loss. How much I would have missed if I had opted out of this season. God has had so much to give me in the midst of it. I see how intense sorrow and intense sweetness are mingled together. The depth and riches of life has come in suffering. How much I've learned and how much sweeter Jesus is to me now. You know, we've put a picture up throughout this series of a road going into the fog. None of us know what's out there in front of us. Maybe some of you have gotten far enough along in the road to experience some of these trials. Maybe for you, you haven't, and you're just looking out into the whiteness. 
But the reality is there will be people in this room, could be me, that are asked by God to live the life of a Martha or to live the life of a Mark. Maybe that's your story now. But let's be a church just as Peter pastored 2000 years ago, that whether we're suffering now or whether we're one of those people that will suffer, that we approach this area of suffering with a remarkable mindset, remarkable opportunities and having a remarkable reaction and response to that suffering. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, it is confrontational. It is hard to read some of those things, especially for people who are in that trial and in that suffering. How can you ask us to rejoice? How can you ask us to praise? Lord, we're instructed by this scripture. Lord, may we have a reaction that honors you. May we look at these as opportunities. May we have a mindset that entrusts our future to a faithful creator. God, we're dependent on you for that. And we look to you for help. God bless each one of the people in this room watching online who are one of that first group of people going through a trial or a difficulty right now. I pray that your comforting presence would be on them. I pray that they would, even with a whisper or with a thought, be able to praise you for the purifying work that you're doing in their life and to recognize that their suffering will lead to exaltation. God, I pray for your comfort for them. Lord, we ask all of these things, glorifying you in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen.